yoga they want to find peace when I think yoga is really about finding truth and when you find the truth you're at peace of, with the truth whether you like the truth or not you, you accept it and you're at peace with my conversation with Sana Juman a yoga teacher from Kuwait and a yoga studio owner was so beautiful as we dove into the mind body and soul connection and the importance of not fixing people but seeing them and holding space for them to just be I hope that this conversation made you take a big and beautiful exhale and to remember that your goals may be one thing, but as life unfolds, you'll end up exactly where you need to be. If you're looking to tune into a podcast episode that's all about yoga in Kuwait, then this is the conversation for you. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Wild Yoga Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Lily Allen Duenas. Together, we'll talk about the world of yoga and we'll talk to people from around the world. Before diving into the episode, I wanted to invite you to head on over to my Patreon account. I would love your support and I'm thrilled to have this beautiful community space where we can do yoga together, meditate together, and you'll get access to exclusive content. Get ready for some private Zoom Q&As, free printable art, meditation recordings, and more. Follow the link in the show notes to get started or head on over to any of my social media channels or my website, wildyogatribe.com to hang out, get to know each other better and find out more about all the support and resources available to you. Ready to dive in? Let's get started. Namaste family and welcome back to the Wild Yoga Tribe podcast. Today I am so excited to welcome Sana Juman onto the show today. She is a yoga teacher and studio owner from Kuwait. She is the owner of True 3 Yoga Studio and she also holds a PhD in environmental engineering sciences and an executive master's in business administration. So those are fascinating just to start off. But she had this amazing discovery of the therapeutic and the healing aspects of yoga, and she began her personal healing journey. And then in 2019, she opened her studio, True 3 Yoga. So Sana has taught yoga in 20 states and in over 10 countries. So I'm so excited to dig more into her experience with nine years of teaching yoga, leading international retreats, and her training programs that have helped thousands of people. So thank you so much, Sana, for joining me on the show today. Thank you, Lily. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. So just to start us off, could you tell us more about your journey, how yoga first came into your life? Yes, I discovered yoga the very first time actually in 2009 when I began my graduate studies in Florida. One of my colleagues took me to a hot yoga class and I actually did not like the class at all, <laughs> not one bit. And I remember feeling isolated, like feeling behind, like I just didn't know any of the movements. It was just very intense and I didn't feel like I was welcomed or assisted. So I just thought that was just yoga. Like that particular style was just all yoga. So I stopped after that. I didn't go to any classes and I got reintroduced to it again in 2013. So I got introduced to it online and I just started practicing at home. 
and start teaching myself all these yoga postures. And although my journey didn't necessarily begin as a healing journey, it led to there. So I was more focused on the postures because I had an athletic background and I just wanted to challenge my body. But throughout the journey of just practicing and watching me build strength and mobility, I've noticed that during my studies and the stress of getting a PhD, I was a lot more calmer. Like things were were happening, but I was not responding to them in a very intensive or reactive way. And that intrigued me. And I related it to yoga, even though I wasn't focused on breath work or meditation. It was just happening just from a normal physical practice. And so that's where I became really intrigued about it and wanted to learn more about it. How is it that if I'm not focused on breathwork and meditation, that I'm able to become more centered, disciplined, grounded, and calm? So I enrolled in a yoga teacher training that was close by this engineering firm that I was working at while getting my PhD. And I started to learn more about the philosophy and the history. And that made me want to dive even deeper into yoga. My original approach wasn't to teach. I just wanted to learn for myself. And then as a year or two after getting my certificate, I started to slowly teach. Started teaching friends and family first. And then I started to expand a little bit. And what made me really become, I would say, successful is my discovery of yoga was also the same time as social media started to pick up, especially Instagram. And my brand was mostly sharing authentically my practice, the the challenges, the obstacles, like how to start. And that made people want to join my classes and my workshops and eventually my retreats. So throughout my journey of yoga, it has always been something that I hold dear to my heart because it helped me through a lot of breakups. It helps me through a torn meniscus and just recently injured shoulder car accident. And so it has really transformed my life. And I made it just after graduating, getting my PhD, that I would want to take a risk, if you want to call it that. And leave the world of academia and engineering and dive into the world of yoga and see how I could share the message and the medicine of yoga with my community. Very cool. Very cool, Sana. I love the message and the medicine of yoga. Like you said that beautifully. (laughs) And also just hearing how you thought you were just going to learn yoga and get your certification just for you. And then that slow development of wanting to teach and wanting to share. Mm -hmm. I was curious though. I mean, you have such amazing and impressive degrees. Do you think your background in environmental engineering sciences has influenced your approach to yoga and its its philosophy or, or either that or your other degree in executive master's in business administration? Has that impacted how you lead your studio? Yeah. So actually getting, so I got my master's just recently in in business in February. So I actually got it after I opened my studio, but getting my PhD has helped me in the business of yoga. And so the reason I'm able to create trainings and curriculums for my studio is due to the skills that I've had from getting a PhD, the writing, the research, 
all of that has helped me develop a lot of quality um, trainings that I have at True Yoga. I think the ethical part, because that's in me, regardless of my degrees, I consider myself to be an ethical person. And that just transfers in everything that I do, whether that's getting my PhD in environmental engineering, which I worked on water quality. And then in yoga, I bring that in as well. The master's, I took it because I wanted to have a bit more background about like running the business a little bit better as far as operations. And that's why I, I did it. And I did it at a time where things were slowing down during the pandemic. So I figured it would be the perfect opportunity since the business was slowing down that I could take this time to learn and how to benefit my business when things pick back up. So hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, that does. I, I think it's amazing. And yeah, ethical from the get-go is always a great way to to identify and feel and be. But then to have studied water quality, I know that probably doesn't translate quite into yoga. And then also awesome and hilarious at the same time that you got your master's in business administration after opening the studio, because maybe there was some of that reflection like, oh, I could have done that differently. Or maybe there was the high fives of, ooh, I did a good job. <laughs> maybe both. That's, that's really cool. I did want to ask you about, you mentioned the torn meniscus and a few things already. So how did you first discover that therapeutic and healing aspects of yoga? So was there a specific moment, maybe track back? I know you, we talked about it in the beginning of the podcast, but was there just that specific moment for you where you're like, Ooh, that is therapeutic. I know you mentioned when you're studying and then noticing you were feeling more grounded, but is there something else you'd want to expand upon in that? Yeah. So what happened after I tore my meniscus is that I couldn't basically work out anymore or train anymore. So I had to do physical therapy and I needed something else to keep me active that wasn't aggressive or just had a um, huge impact on my joint. And so that's what I was like, okay, let me try this yoga thing. And literally that was my approach. I'm like, let me try it. And my idea, literally I had no knowledge of yoga, like zero. My idea of yoga was like, okay, people just sit in meditation and do breath work. That's all I knew about yoga. And so when I knew there were postures and some of the advanced postures, specifically the scorpion, everybody knows my story. Like the scorpion is what sparked my interest. Out of all postures, I chose the most difficult one. And when I saw it, something in me was like, one, confused at how a body can be inverted and bent that way. And then the stubborn side of me where I'm like a go-getter when it comes to anything, where it's like, okay, I want to learn how to get to this posture. I don't care how long it takes me, what I need to do. I need to do that. I don't know why, but it was something that I was just determined to do it. And so from there, I started to bring awareness to my body and where it was at. I knew that I had strong legs, but my core and upper body wasn't that great. And so then I joined boxing. I was like, okay, let me work on. I know they do a lot of core. Let me join boxing. And then I started to really work on learning the foundational postures of yoga and mastering them. Like I wouldn't even practice the advanced postures. I would just do a forward fold and the chaturanga or like anything that was just like the most foundational and then master them and hold them for long periods of time, 15 to 20 breaths of like real engagement. And over time, I think I started January 
2013, by that October, I, I was able to do the scorpion and touch my head. And that to me, it just blew me because I didn't, I don't have a background like in dance or like gymnastics. And I never thought of myself to be a mobile or flexible person. And so to be able to see that my body was strong and bendy at the same time, it just blew me. And so that made me like, okay, I want to learn more and more from not only physical, but also the discipline it took me. Like I was practicing like nonstop to get me there. And so I remember that year and until this day when I teach, I always teach my students from a beginner's perspective and my perspective when I first started. And I tell them like, we're not going to practice an advanced um, practice. My idea of advanced is mastering the foundational postures. Postures just brings awareness to where you're at and how you can improve without worrying about safety, like injuring yourself. That's really like my philosophy when I'm teaching. Mm, that's awesome. And I also, so now I don't come from a background of dance and <laughs> I, I know some teachers definitely do. And wow, what a kind of a gift to come at that and already have the proprioception, the awareness of your body and space and the mobility, the bendiness. So yes, it, it is a very humbling experience to come to the practice when you haven't ever really bent uh, or moved in those ways before. And so about the, I, something, Sana, I really wanted to talk to you about also is about all of your experiences hosting international retreats and your training programs. Can you tell us more about your experience with that? Uh, what was it like and what advice would you give for other people? Because we have a lot of yoga teachers who listen to this podcast and not all of them do lead retreats. And that's something I hear back a lot is, oh, I would love more advice <laughs> on how to get started doing that. So could you walk mm -hmm. us through it a bit? Yeah, of course. And I agree with you. A lot of people want to do retreats, but it takes a lot of courage, surrender and steps to arrive to hosting a successful retreat. So to give background, everything I do when it comes to business, for me, always comes from a place of intention, like the purpose, like, why am I doing this? Who am I serving? And what am I going to bring into the community? So when I first launched my very first retreat, it was at a time I was actually going through a depression. I had just gone through a really bad breakup. I've just finished my PhD. I tried to take this risk with yoga and teaching. It's not bringing me money. I had to live with my sister, sharing the same bed at 30 years old when I had my own apartment, my own car. I gave up everything to try to dive into yoga without mentorship or guidance. I was just going off intuition and intention. I wanted to serve my community and I wanted to do this. That's all I knew. And during that time, I had decided to go to Indonesia for a week. And don't ask me why I decided I get intuitive. And for that week, I wanted to disconnect from the world. I turned my phone off. I traveled with just a carry-on, which I've never done for a whole week. I just booked my flight and the Airbnb. I didn't know what I was going to do. Once I arrived there, I spent that week praying, meditating, and just like basking in nature and that energy of that space. And I came back home and I was on a natural high. I came out of my depression, literally. I was just like, okay, life is great. It's just amazing. Then more things happened over the summer. 
And then I went back into it and I just remembered that feeling I had during that week. And I'm like, if I experienced that during that week, I'm pretty sure other people will too. And that's when my, my first um, retreat was born. It was literally, I sat there, I was like, okay, I'm going to replicate my experience and I'm going to have people come to this island that I found off the coast of Bali called Gilier. And they're going to turn their phones off and they're just going to come and they're just going to sit with themselves. And all I had, I remember, was a picture and a story. And I posted it and within 48 hours, it was sold out. Now, some people think, oh, it just happened, you're lucky. But what happened prior, and that's 2017, is four years prior to 2017, is that I was running workshops nationwide in the United States. Every summer, I did what I called my dork tour. And so I would go from city to city, drive, and I would go to where I think my clientele would be, and I would connect with my community, and I would lead a two-hour workshop. And I did this every year. I was not generating income from that. Everything I made was going into expenses. But what I was doing is building relationships. And so when it came time for me to market, and that was just not only in person, but also on social media, I built a trusting relationship with my audience. And when it came time for me to announce my retreat, that relationship was already nurtured. So now people feel comfortable to go across the waters and meet me somewhere. And so my advice is always from people who are interested in retreats is the question is like, how have you been nurturing your audience up until this point? And I always start with maybe you're not like a digital person. You don't have to do social media. It's not for everybody. But within your community, if you're having a hard time filling up your classes, if you're having a hard time leading workshops and master classes and people are not coming, you're going to have a hard time people getting on a flight to go to a retreat. And people sometimes make this mistake is, oh, I just need to find somewhere gorgeous and people will just come. And that's false because they can just go there on their own. What people want from a retreat is the intentionality in this healing space. That's what they go for because they can do yoga anywhere. And so as a yoga teacher, when you're leading your group classes and you start to elevate yourself into workshops and master classes, you start to ask yourself, what is the message that I'm trying to deliver? And as I used earlier, the word medicine. How am I helping my community become better on and off the map? How am I allowing them to dive deeper into themselves? And then that you build that nurturing relationship with them. So then when it's time for you to announce your retreat, they trust you enough to get on a flight and go somewhere with you. Because it does require trust. Because people work hard for their money. And for their time as well. And for them to take time off and spend money to go somewhere with you, it takes a lot. So you have to build that trust. And I think that's the common mistake people make. And they think it's, I just need to pick a, a beautiful place and post it on Instagram or post some flyers at the studio and people will register. But without that nurturing relationship, people won't come. Because it does take a lot for them to take that leap and take that step. 
Yeah, I hundred percent agree. And, but I do love hearing your backstory saying how you led up to posting your retreat in Gili air in Indonesia. And then within two days of being sold out, like that is a magic moment, but also knowing all the hard work you put in on the back end before that moment to build the trust, to build the relationships, to nurture everything like that. And I've also been to Gili air in Indonesia. I spent a week or two there. It was very beautiful, very amazing spot. Yeah, it's a magical place. There's something in that. It feels like home. And for me, it's when I went there, it felt that way. And I wanted my community to feel that way, where you get to see the beautiful clear waters, the mountains, the rise of the moon and the rise of the sun and the sun. And so I wanted people to like just to cut off the noise of technology and family and friends and just give themselves space to be with themselves. We're not usually... We don't usually give ourselves permission to just be with ourselves. We're continuously occupying ourselves with multiple things, work, family, obligations, partnerships. And we never really just sit with ourselves. And it takes, even when we do the retreats, it takes about a day or two, maybe three days for people to get acclimated to that. Because it's just, wait, I'm not doing anything. I'm like, no, we practice. We had our workshop. Now you have the rest of the day to figure things out. Go play. You have this island to go play. And it takes a bit for their body and their mind to adjust to that. But once it does, they feel so free and it's so beautiful to witness. Yes, it is. So do you have a couple pieces of like very actionable advice, just like three pieces of just heavy hitting advice that you'd give to someone who wants to lead a yoga retreat? Yes. And so the first advice is make sure you start to, again, build a nurturing relationship with your clientele. So if you're teaching group classes, start to really deepen that relationship. That can be small conversations. Then move up into leading workshops and master classes. And this is where people really get to know a little bit more about you because it's not just we're flowing through postures. They get you know to know a little bit about your philosophy, your principles, your educational background, so that you start to go a little bit deeper into the relationship with them. And then you always want to take people on retreats to places that you personally have been and have a strong connection to as far as like healing. I never run retreats in places I've never been or never felt like this is a healing space. I've traveled to a lot of countries around the world. Certain countries I would never do retreats at because it's just the energy just didn't feel like it was a retreat place. So make sure that you actually visit this place and physically go there and see if you can find a retreat center or a boutique hotel where you can host that place. Spend a lot of time on really sharing the intention and the story as to why you want to host the retreat. Why, what are people going to get out of this? It's not about, again, doing just yoga in another country. The people like a theme. They like an intention. And I would advise to even as early as nine months to a year of announcing your retreat. I announced that early to allow people to set up a payment plan that is convenient for them and affordable so they can be able to do those monthly plans. And I think a lot of people mark it just a couple of months before the retreat. And if you do it like nine months to a year, people can plan better. They can take their vacation time. They can, you know, do a payment plan that is affordable. They can figure out life so that they can attend it. So That to me would be the biggest advice prior. And there's advice also during, which is the main thing in during running a retreat. Make sure that you hold that container for that whole week, that space. 
because it's not just about we're just going to do a workshop and we're just going to do a yoga session in the morning, but really making people feel seen, heard, and held. That's what I've learned over the years of running a retreat. People just want to be heard and seen. They don't want anybody to fix their problems. Most of the time, they just want people to hold the space and listen to them. And it requires a lot of work. So make sure that you have the energy and the capacity to hold space for 15 to 20 people for a whole week. Because that can take also a lot uh, of work. So that would be my advice. Oh, powerful advice. I love that. That's just to see people, hold them, and acknowledge, not fix, right? Just to be with. I love that. And Sana, I'd love to talk to you at this point too, also about your yoga studio, True 3. And what was it like to open True 3 in Kuwait? So it's called True Yoga. The three is more of like a logo thing. So the three is basically a reminder for our community that it's about mind, body, and soul connection, which is really important to me as we teach in the community. So yoga is slowly growing. Just give you back on slowly growing in Kuwait. We're one of the very few studios that are in Kuwait. And as yoga started to get westernized, it's more asana-based, more posture-based. People just focus on that. And my goal is to remind the students and the teachers that we have to have the mind-body-soul connection. And so we do teach the philosophy within the group classes, just little small things that are not too heavy, but reminders that the practice continues off the mat. My goal was never to teach yoga, but I end up teaching it. My goal was never to open a yoga studio, but I end up opening one. My goal was never to leave. Everything I'm doing in the yoga space as far as business was not intentional. It wasn't like intentional in the sense of I'm going to do this X, Y, and Z. What my goal was that I wanted to play in this space and I wanted to explore and most importantly, surrender. When the opportunities came that I was willing to surrender and take the step and take the leap. And so this opportunity of opening a studio came through a conversation and then I didn't trust it. And I was like, one person connected me to another person. This is how you could do it. This is how you can open a studio. This is how you can get funding. Like just one conversation to another. And I just took the leap. And I continue to do this as I start to expand more and more in true yoga. And so in Kuwait, it's growing a little bit by little bit, which is good. It's good in a sense as if you thinking long term, this is good for you because you're setting the foundation right now. But if you're thinking like, oh, I just need to make money now, it's an uncomfortable space to be in. But when you're building quality, you understand that it takes time to bring that traction. And slowly we're getting there and people are recognizing us for our reputation and the quality that we put out. And so true yoga is literally my baby because I built it from the ground up. I literally tore down this previous space, which is four apartments. I knocked them all down, opened the space and then built it from the ground up. And so it was even built with love. And people, when they walk in the space, a lady shared with me today, she's been to a lot of studios in Kuwait, but when I walk into your space, I feel the love. And that makes me sometimes want to tear up that it's okay, the energy is still there. They feel it. The color to the paint, the brick, every single thing that is put in this space was with love and intention. That's Amazing. I love hearing that people respond to that and feel that. And that was your intention going in. And obviously it carried through so beautifully. I know one of the things in your studio, I read on your website, you've incorporated the concept 
of, is it Ikigai, the Japanese? Mm-hmm. Is it, did I pronounce it correctly? I'm not really sure. Don't quote me on that. Okay. <laughs> no, don't. Okay, I don't speak Japanese, but yes. Yeah. Do you want to share with our listeners about the intentionality around that concept? Yeah. So for us, really, when I connected with that, what to me it means is just that I wanted to create a, a an experience and in a very simple way, like a very simple way. And to me, I'm always fascinated by Japanese culture in aesthetic wise, but also intentionality. So going back to like intention, like when I'm looking at their cultures, the way they dress, the way they eat, the way they build things, the way they put energy into anything they do is, is very intentional, but it's also not noisy. It's not really about being loud and using minimal type of palette and, and slow living as well. And that's what it really means is really being mindful. And so for me, I was really intrigued by the similarities of how I like to live my life and then the culture, the Japanese culture. And I wanted also people to feel like when they're entering this space, again, it's not just about practice, but it's also about the energy and, and the experience. Even when we created the tea room, it's even you have to sit on the floor. We're so influenced by Japanese culture. You sit on the floor, low table with cushions. And the whole purpose of that is to have a community and for people to figure out their reason for being here. Here meaning on earth, like what are we here to learn and how can we learn from each other as well? And how can we share this over a cup of tea? which is also similar to the culture in in Kuwait too. We like to drink tea a lot. And this whole idea of seeking truth, how do we seek truth? And so so the concept of from aesthetics as far as materials that were used was like minimal, but there's also texture as well and aesthetic where it's just and a nostalgic a little bit. There were we have these glass bricks that I purposely put them there not only to create like this openness and so the room didn't feel like closed off. But we used to have these bricks growing up, like in my grandmother's house and any old houses that you grew up with, you saw those. And so when people walk into the studio and they see them, they have this nostalgic feeling like, oh my God, I remember this at my grandmother's house. And they just instantly get excited. And so, yeah, I think the Japanese concept of that is for me, it's like minimal, but intentional and figure out the reason for being here and seeking truth. I love that. I love that. So you have shared with us too about yoga in Kuwait, how it's just starting to grow. But I would love for our listeners who aren't too familiar with Kuwait as a country, as a whole, could you share with us more about Kuwait? Yes, I will. So Kuwait, uh, it's in the Middle East, if you don't know where it is. People are familiar with the UAE or Dubai. So we're like sister countries. We share similar culture and traditional backgrounds. And so the climate is really hot. It's a desert. It's like Arizona, really hot, but it gets really cold in the winter. Very conservative. We're known to really be amazing in cuisines and it doesn't matter what cuisine it could be kuwaiti japanese whatever we're like food is like number one i'm not saying that because of kuwait is just they just love flavor here and then shopping that's like their biggest thing but also it's a very slow paced which i uh, like slow paced type of culture very intentional very creative we have a lot of youth that are like always coming up with creative ideas as far as businesses and starting small businesses it's for me, I like it because it's just very family oriented and community oriented. Like people really genuinely 
care about you, whether they know you or not. And they take care of you. And that's the feeling that I love about being home and, and even being in the studio. Awesome. And Sana, a question I do ask for every yoga teacher who's a guest on the show is what is your personal definition of yoga? I like that question. My personal definition is awareness of self and connecting to self. And when you have the awareness and the connection to self, then you're able to connect to everything around you as well, including if you believe in God or higher power. In order for you to connect to that, you have to first connect to yourself. That can mean mind, body, and and spirit connection. You have to have that awareness and that connection in order for you to really find your truth. I think a lot of times when people approach yoga, they want to find peace. When I think yoga is really about finding truth. And when you find the truth, you're at peace with the truth. Whether you like the truth or not, you, you accept it and you're at peace with it. It's not that nothing is happening in your life that you're not bothered or you don't get angry, you don't feel emotions. No, it's that you recognize those emotions, you hold space for them, but you accept them. And so yoga allows you to arrive in that space where you get to know yourself in in all your emotions, all your thoughts, and all your body limitations, but you accept them and, and you arrive at peace, being peace with those limitations that you have and being okay with it. Ooh, lovely. I love that yoga is not about finding peace, but about finding truth. That's powerful, Sana. And a beautiful way to (laughs) wrap up our time together. I have loved speaking with you. You have offered so many beautiful points of perspective and these little nuggets of grace, I think, for our listeners, hopefully, to really tap into and hopefully will resonate with them. So thank you for being with me today. It's been such a joy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been great talking to you and sharing my passion and sharing bits of my home and my journey with you and your listeners. Hopefully they learned a few things that could help them on their journey and continue to share, like I said, the medicine of yoga with their community. So thank you for having me. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you feel called, please share this episode with someone who you think could benefit from it. Leaving a review would also be so appreciated. I also hope you can join me online on my website, wildyogatribe.com, or on social media. I would love to get to know you better. I would love to share with you and to hear your thoughts. Send me a DM, send me a note, get in touch. It would be great to hear from you. And as always, be well, dear one. Be well.